0: Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host Eddie Rye. And Hayward Evans is getting a little coffee up. <laughs> he had a little accident. You know that happens these days. So anyway, he got it all cleaned up. But we have a number of folks we'll be talking with. Our first guest today is Congressman Adam Smith, who represents the 9th Congressional District out of Washington. People say it's the most Democratic-leaning district in the whole state. And uh, he is chair of the House Armed Services Committee. And just inform me, if you chair a committee, you only have one committee, and that's a pretty big committee. And uh, Congressman Smith has been doing some fantastic and very progressive things in Washington State and been advocating for equity and fairness in D.C., and we appreciate what you've been doing. So, Congressman, uh, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with Eddie Ryan Hayward-Evans. So I just wanted you to start off by uh, really just sharing a little bit. I mean, I know about your background. You've been on before but we have some people who probably haven't heard you before. Just give us a little bit about your a couple minutes about your background and how you ascended to your position in Congress, after being the youngest elected uh state senator in in the uh, in the country. Uh, he was elected to Washington State Senate, defeated an incumbent when he was 25 years old. So he has a long history of success. So Hayward uh, and Eddie want to welcome you once again to Urban Forum Northwest, Congressman Adam Smith. So why don't you go ahead and share that background information with our listeners.
1: Certainly. Um, yeah, the biggest thing is I, I grew up in South King County. My father was a baggage handler at United
2: Airlines, and a member of
1: the Union. So my early experiences really, you know, made me very passionate about equality of opportunity um, and supporting working people. And that's what got me involved and interested in working in politics, you know, really was the opportunity to work with grew up with in South King County, and from there I've been able to do it as a state senator and now as a member of Congress, now as chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. Um, But it's also terrific to represent such a diverse district Um, because, like I said, equality of opportunity is the single most important thing to me. And if we're going to get there, um, we have to confront systemic racism, systemic sexism, um, and begin to change those patterns so that people truly are able to pursue their life dreams. Uh, which is what I want for everybody. So it's been great representing this district. Uh, I think there has got a lot of great businesses, ton of great people. So that's what I'm doing in Congress is uh, trying to make sure that I am the most effective voice I can be for the people of the 9th District uh, back in Washington, D.C.
0: Now tell us a little bit about uh, uh, the Democrats took over. I know from talking, I mentioned before we went on the air about my relationship with Congressman Benny Thompson, and, in fact, I was on a Tunica, Mississippi with a number of members of the CBC uh, last month for the annual uh, uh, Mississippi Policy Conference yeah. <clears throat> that attracts quite a few folks from around, around the country. And, uh, you know, he is the chair of the House Homeland Security Committee, and I, I've talked to some of his staff people. I haven't talked to many of your staff folks, but share with our listeners exactly what are the functions of the, of the chairmanship of the House Armed Services Committee. Well, I just heard coming in on CNN that uh, President Donald Trump is raiding the coffers, depriving some military uh, students uh, or families of child care facilities. And I guess quite of these people are places where they have mold, they have rodents, they have insects, they have bed bugs. It just seems to me uh, the priority would be the families of the U.S. military that's protecting us as opposed to building a fence to keep people out.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, my responsibility as chair of the Armed Services Committee, the biggest thing is every year we pass the National Defense Authorizing Act, which sets the policy for the Department of Defense and our national security. And it's about $738 billion this year. Uh, It's usually about a 2,000 page bill. And we touch on a wide variety of policy areas. So it really gives me an opportunity to influence a bunch of different things. And in particular, the issue you're talking about, what the president has done since Congress has said, no, we're not going to fund your wall because it's a colossal waste of money. He's gone around Congress and declared an emergency to effectively steal the money from the Pentagon Um, because, you know, he was looking for about $7 billion and the Pentagon has a lot of money. So he's redirecting money that we authorized and appropriated for military construction projects, which include things that you just mentioned, child care facilities and other facilities that are crucial to the service members and their families, taking that money, canceling those projects and using it to build his wall, which we all know is not going to do anything to enhance border security. Um, and this is a colossal waste of money. So um, we're going to try and push back on the armed services. And also you raised another issue with the family housing. You know, there's been an epidemic in the last couple of years of the housing that's been provided for service members on base uh, having mold and other problems that have not been addressed. And that's another thing that we uh, deal with in the bill this year, is to create a tenant bill of of rights and to set up um, the proper mechanisms to make sure that those families can get relief, can get proper and adequate housing, and can get the housing they have now fixed as quickly as possible.
0: Well, you know... uh... The president had several deferments for bone spurs, but he uh, 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 pretends to be such a staunch advocate for the United States military. So it's just really a contradiction for him to have military families and the military suffering while he builds a wall or a fence to keep people out. I know that he made that commitment during the campaign, but he also said Mexico was going to pay for it 100%. Uh, But then again, he said a lot of things that haven't been true. So... uh, I would just like to have uh, you comment on what is the next step about the president. I guess uh, the people in the Pentagon are uh, raising objections. But what can be done to make sure that the military families are not hurt by his aggressive pursuit of this
3: wall?
1: Well, there are two things we can do, but I always like to point out, and I get get questions like this all the time. You know, Trump's doing this awful thing. How can we stop him? there is only one ultimately effective way to stop him, and that is to defeat him in next year's election so that he's no longer president. The president of the United States, regrettably, has an enormous amount of power. And if you put the wrong person in that office, it can have devastating consequences. And that's what we're experiencing right now. So we must stay focused on that goal. In the short term, there are two things we can try to do to counteract that power. One, and i I've spoken with our state's attorney general, Bob Ferguson, he's a good friend of mine, um, about how we could potentially bring legal action. Because what the president has done is he's used a 1976 statute to declare an emergency to take this money. There is no emergency. And certainly there's no emergency to be addressed by a border wall. There is a crisis on the border of people seeking asylum who are not being adequately taken care of, and that's all the pictures we see of the overcrowded rooms, children being separated from their families, inadequate housing, inadequate food, inadequate shelter, no access to health care. But building a wall doesn't do anything about that, because these people are seeking asylum. They show up at the border entry point and turn themselves in. That's the point. The wall doesn't address the crisis. But the argument is this is illegal. This is not in compliance with the statute that the president's relying on. And so we will go to the courts and try to get them to overturn it. Second, in my bill this year, we we can't do anything about the money he stole from last year's bill. But we can place restrictions that stop him from doing it again in the future. And it's complicated. Um, But the pots of money that he's going after, um, we're changing the law to make sure that he can't take them out of the Pentagon uh, for this purpose ever again.
2: Congressman Hayward here. Uh, you know, what's, what's getting me, I, I know that they were going to do some security upgrades for the submarine bases here in Washington State. And we know how it's impacting the immigrants. What's Mitch McConnell saying about all this, or is he just taking a back seat?
1: I'm sorry, say again, I had a hard time hearing uh, uh, you. At Senator, Senator McConnell, what's, the what, what's
2: he doing about this, Mitch McConnell, over in the Senate? Because D- I oh, know that the, the Senate- House has progressed, uh, passed progressive bills, but it seems to get hung up in the Senate
1: yeah, I mean, the Senate is basically like like all Republicans, they're doing whatever the President wants, period, um, on issue after issue. We've seen it, you know, on gun control. you know, we've passed sensible bills in the House that ninety percent, ninety percent of the American people support the Senate won't touch it. we've We've passed a bill that will protect DACA recipients and protect people here on temporary uh, um, temp- temporary protective status. We are passing all it, and the Senate is using to take them up. If Donald Trump's does, don't. Um, and it, it, you know, it's very frustrating and, you know, we have to continue to put pressure on the Senate. But look, if the president doesn't want it, Mitch McConnell isn't going to do it. And it is creating a lot of problems.
2: Now, can we can we hold up those allocations until the end of the next election? Is there any way to keep it in court? We just can't take the money? Well, potentially,
1: I mean, the first thing that you do in that situation is you ask for a, you know, a what's the word? I think a stay, basically, um, that you know the courts can say you cannot take this money until we resolve this issue, and that's the first thing that we will ask for. Um, you know, hopefully, we'll get it, but regrettably, I mean, the president is taking a very expansive view of the emergency uh, declaration uh, law, and you know, but he can do it, and. You know, the, you know, absent court action, there's nothing we can do to stop him from taking that money. I mean, well, we could pass a piece of legislation saying you can't do this, but that would have to pass the Senate, and the president would either have to sign it, or we'd have to have the votes to override his veto. And like I said, the Republicans will not uh, do anything that he doesn't want. So we don't have the votes. We have the votes passed stuff in the House. We don't have the votes passed stuff in the Senate. And we certainly don't have the votes to overturn a presidential veto. That requires two thirds of the House and the Senate, which means it would require dozens of Republicans to join with us.
2: Uh, but going into the next election, now when we win, because I think we're going to win back the People's House, uh, when we win back the House, the, the same uh, provision, if you will, is going to go to that new Democratic president, where it can truly do some disruption. Yeah. Okay. So, Absolutely. So I mean, there's light at the end of the tunnel
1: does um, the Senate still going to be problematic? Now, in this case, um, since the, the president has declared emergency, the second we get a new president, he can undeclare the emergency and send the money back to the Pentagon. Um, so a Democratic president can reverse all of what we're talking about here. But look, I mean, I, I think we, we've also got a chance to get the, get the votes in the Senate. Um, there are a number of Senate races this year that we have next year, actually, that we have strong candidates in. And look, two things. One, Democrats need to get back control of the Senate, which means
4: uh, (laughs)
1: Arizona, Texas, Maine, Kentucky. I'm forgetting a couple of states here. Georgia has now two Senate races. Um, Colorado? Yeah, Colorado. That's the big one I'm thinking. Forgetting about. So we can take it back. And here's one thing that I want your listeners um, to we need to get rid of the filibuster in the Senate. Now, I understand at the moment the Republicans are in charge and Democrats are in the minority, so a filibuster is one way to block what the Senate might do. Uh, But first of all, we can block what the Senate might do in the House. But second of all, we have the majority in this country, uh, without question. Progressives and Democrats have the majority of support. It's only because of some weird aspects of the Constitution that we're unable to govern, and then weird practices. If we get the majority back in the Senate, if we allow the filibuster, we will once again allow the Republicans, a minority of Republicans in one body, to stop anything that we want to do. And I really don't think we should do that. The filibuster does not exist in the Constitution. It's an accident of history that, if I'm if I read correctly, was put in place by Aaron Burr um, oh. back in like 1807 for no good reason. <laughs> um, that simply became accepted practice. It should not be. It should not thwart the will of the majority the way it does.
2: You know, on that note, you know, I'm fearful. I mean, look what Mitch McConnell did since there's no filibuster. That's how we have all those crazy people on the Supreme Court. And I'm looking at that well, Supreme Court going into the next uh, presidential election. But but understand that Mitch McConnell just got rid of the filibuster when he was in charge. Okay, But not
1: completely. He mm-hmm. got rid of it for judicial appointment. All right. So, so what? We get back in power, and then we're going to put the filibuster back in place? No. Does so the Republicans, again, have the power? Mm-hmm. I mean, that simply doesn't make any sense. The Republicans have made it clear that they'll get rid of the filibuster when it suits their purposes. Um, there, there's no reason the Democrats shouldn't be every little bit as aggressive about using the rules as we can use them to, to, to accomplish our agenda and support Donald Trump's agenda.
2: Well, on that note, Murray and Cantwell are on board with it, our peeps, right? What you just said?
1: I'm not sure. I don't know. I haven't talked to them about specifically about the filibuster piece. I don't know where they're at. I, should, I, I would not want to speak for them not,
2: not
0: being sure of where they're at. Okay. Uh, Congressman, I want to find out what are the priorities for the 9th Congressional District? What are your priorities for well, the district?
1: Well, I, one of the, the, the Well, the concentration of wealth is one of the greatest challenges, and it plays out in a number of different ways. Affordable housing is one of the great challenges for the people of this district. Um, high cost of living here, it's hard for people to afford a place to live close to where they can work. So we have to work on affordable housing. Transportation is incredibly important. Um, if you're going to have to work a little ways from where you live, you need an adequate public transportation system in order to get access to, to, to where you live. Um, and also, achieving greater income inequality means education and access to job training. So supporting community and technical colleges, making sure our K-12 schools are strong, making sure that there's strong support for union apprenticeships so that people can get the job and skills training that they need in order to get jobs um, and be employable and be able to do it. Really, the concentration of wealth is the thing that has the biggest impact on on my constituents that gets in the way of equality of opportunity. Um, those, those are some of the biggest issues right. that we're facing
0: in the region. Here's we uh, we come up with solutions, but we see resistance. One state agency, the State Community College, uh, versus the Department of Commerce. Uh, we have just uh, through the work of uh, Representative State Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos, House Bill nineteen eighteen passed unanimously in the House and the Senate to convert the old SVI SOIC property on Twenty Second and Jackson to a Uh, Central Area Community Public Preservation Development Authority, which will be named in honor of Reverend Dr. Samuel Berry McKinney. And it will be called the McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development. Uh, We're working with the Department of Commerce, and we have a number of people who are a part of the McKinney Coalition, probably 15 or 20 of the most prominent pastors in the state, as well as other community leaders, the president the CEO of the Urban League, uh, the state president of the NAACP, and others. But we find out that uh, uh, before the building changes hands, the community college has taken all the chairs and they're going to auction them off. I mean, rather than uh, support our community, support our community and leave places and and everything intact in the building, they're talking about moving the server out so we won't be able to train people on uh, 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 QuickBooks, Excel and other things that uh, businesses need to stay in business. If you look at our numbers, for especially for African descendants of United States slaves, uh, the blacks that's been here for 400 years, our numbers are atrocious, and it's just absolutely amazing that Seattle Central College would allow Lincoln Ferris, who is the culprit, to do what he's doing. So this is going to set the black community back once again, uh, because of the fact somebody decides that they want to just take everything out of the building leave us nothing to operate with. So now we got to go find chairs and equipment before we can start training people. And this is why we're yeah, doing no, no. one-tenth of one percent with all the public agencies because of this kind of discrimination and it's institutionalized. Now, the president of Seattle Central College is, is a black lady, Dr. Sheila Everett Lang, and the guy Lincoln Ferris used to work for Tom Stewart, Food Service of America. So his mentality, as far as I'm concerned, is a, a bigoted mentality because you know every, every 4th of July... Thomas Stewart had all the right wingers and I, I, they're now called white supremacists go over to Bainbridge Island every every year. And this guy is carrying out that agenda and how he gets to be the consultant to the black president of a college in the central, uh, Seattle Central College is uh, amazing to me because he's doing nothing but hamstringing our efforts to bring about equality for, for African-Americans.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's actually the first I've heard of that, but uh, that is outrageous, and I can't believe that our community technical college system would allow that to happen. Um, I would think the state would step in and, and urge them not to do that. But
0: we'll be meeting um, with we'll be meeting with Javier Valdez, the chair of the House uh, 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 members of Color Caucus, this afternoon to see about getting some help. There. It's just absolutely you're gonna take the chairs where we could serve people and put them in storage and then auction them off for a dollar a piece. Oh, the auctioned We're already? As
2: low as a dollar bid, lots.
0: <laughs> it's amazing.
2: Sitting down with us.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. Right. I'm sorry, and we know yeah. some members who are trustees on the college, of, uh, Seattle Central. I mean, Seattle College Community College Board. But uh, this guy is just all the way off the hook, with tr- mm-hmm. just absolutely destroying any opportunity we would have to help bring our businesses back up to speed.
1: Understood. Hey, Eddie, I've, I've got have got it. I know you do. Y'all had like said 15 so I gotta, minutes. i got to run. And hey, you, you gave,
0: you gave us 22 already. We appreciate that, Congressman Adam Smith. Thank and you. I'll keep you posted yeah, well, on, on our progress. When we get the building open on 22nd and Jackson, we want to make sure you come through and take a tour.
1: Yeah, I would love to come see it, and I appreciate the chance, as always.
0: Okay, then. Congressman Adam Smith, I want to thank you for your time today. I will be in D.C. next week for the Congressional Black Caucus. Might see you around there.
1: All right. Terrific. Thanks, Eddie.
0: Okay. So uh, last week we had uh, uh, Keith Tucker uh, talking about The Invisible Vegan, a film that was done by Jasmine uh, Levy, and uh, that event is going to be on Saturday the 7th at Langston Hughes uh, from uh, 5 to 7, and I think we have uh, the interview hooked up, so uh, Eric's going to go ahead and play this interview by Jasmine, I think Keith's on there too, go right ahead. Jasmine,
2: welcome to uh, Urban Forum Northwest with Eddie Ryan Hayward-Evans. Jasmine, somebody doesn't know much, and then I hear Invisible Beacon now, tell me what I'm going to get out of it as a descendant of one of the enslaved here in the States. What is this movie going to do for me?
3: Okay, so basically I want to reconnect our community back to, I guess, healthier food ways, because when we think about how African Americans eat and how we relate to food in this country— You know, we're always portrayed with fried chicken and soul food and all these greasy, salty, sugary foods. But we come from a continent, one of the richest resource continents on the planet. You know, our ancestors were eating fresh crops. They were eating plants. You know, the diet we associate with, you know, the diet we've inherited is the slave diet. So I'm trying to, like, reconnect and take us back before that. Like, hey, no, let's get in touch with our real roots. Let's get in touch with our ancestry. And whenever you see veganism or plant-based eating, health and wellness, whenever you see these things marketed in the past, it would be associated with, you know, white faces or, you know, people with European features. You didn't see black people or people of color represented in the movement. So from this film, I want, you know, I want more people like me to see themselves represented in the health and wellness space, so McDonald's isn't the only thing that's being marketed to us.
2: Well, you got my wife, daughter and I cuz that's what they're pushing right now. That that sounds absolutely fantastic. And now you <laughs> they talked about some of the people who are starring in it. Can you go over that again who the uh, actors are?
3: Oh, yes. Yeah. So, okay, so when I watch a lot of documentaries, You know, sometimes for for certain segments of the population, I feel like documentaries can be a little dry. And, you know, so that means those segments are going to miss the information. So I wanted to make sure I had a wide variety of personalities that people could relate to. So, you know, Cedric the Entertainer, he was going on his health journey. So I brought him into the project because I wanted, you know, I I didn't want it to be a stiff documentary. I wanted people to have, like, fun while they learn. Um, John Sally, you know, a lot of people say, Mm -hmm. oh, veganism it's emasculating it's just like no look here you have this athlete who actually flourished when he was on a plant-based diet so using him to kind of break the stereotype you have breeze harper not only is she in the plant-based movement she's like a critical race theorist you know graduated from harvard she did the book sister vegan so you know had somebody to come bring in some of the intellectual flavor so it's a it's a lot of great people in the doc stick from Dead prez you know you have rappers you have um, Lillian Comer. She's in Seattle. She's in Seattle with you guys, and she runs like a plant-based um, dessert company. So we got a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life.
2: And Keith Tucker. Now we got to throw him out there. We're the local. Oh stars. yeah, that's the.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's a given. So Keith Tucker. Yeah, there's a cameo of him in the last part of the film where he's pretty much putting out his agenda and what he's trying to do in his own space with Hip Hop Is Green. Keith, so what, it, yeah.
0: Oh, go ahead. I was, I was going to ask Keith, what else is uh, in store? We see have the screening? What else is in store uh, for uh, September 7th at Langston Hughes?
5: Well, the great thing is that you'll be there to see Jasmine, and you'll be able to also uh, talk to her producer, Erica Taylor. Uh, they'll both be there, and uh, I'll be there, of course. But, you know, people, the crowd and the people that come will be able to ask them questions. Mm-hmm. Um, Jasmine, you know, did a lot of heavy lifting to get this film where it is. Um, we helped by doing some screenings around the country, but she had screenings with all kind of grassroots organizations, and she could tell you more about that heavy lifting because, you know, people really don't know. It's about health, yeah. The film is about health, but the, the part of the film that you won't see is all of the sweat and equity that Jasmine put in to get the film where it is now. It's actually on Amazon Prime now, and I know she's got a story on how that happened as well, too, if you want to share that, Jasmine. Yeah, why don't we? Yeah.
3: Yeah, so I will. (laughs) The thing about this film, it was definitely a passion project, something that was really important to my heart, because I don't think a lot of people know what it feels like to work on something literally for years, to throw your savings into it, to throw everything into it, and not even see a dime of profit, per se. You know, like at this point, I'm, you know, after five, six years of work, it's like, I don't even think I broke even yet. So, you know, I did put everything and but that's, but that's what you have to do if you really want to see change in a certain area. Like, even when I first put the film out, like I put it on YouTube for free because I was just like, you know, as much as, you know, I want to make money off of this, the message kind of transcends profit. You know, I, I want—I I actually really want my people to see this. And then I did a crowdfunding campaign where, you know, when I didn't have an extra fifty grand in my pocket, you know, a lot of people chipped in to get the film made. So I felt like, oh, okay, well, it's only appropriate. All these—the people helped me fund it, so the people should have access to it. But you know, putting together a documentary—it's—it's it's a lot.
0: <laughs> so thank you very much, look forward you. to seeing you September seventh. All right. Okay, now.
3: All right now. now.
0: Okay, that was the interview that we did last week, Hayward and I did, with uh, Jasmine Levy, who is a, uh, the, the producer uh, of the film, The Invisible Vegan, and along with Keith Tucker from Hip Hop is Green. Now the event will be at Langston Hughes Cultural Arts Center, 104 17th Avenue. It'll be Saturday the 7th at 5 p.m. And they'll also have some tasty food there. That's, uh, and this event is sponsored by the Northwest Animal Rights Network. Uh, so, we're going to take a break and come back with Dr. Efe Williams after
4: this. Step up your commute and ride light. Sound Transit's new Capitol Hill and University of Washington Link Light Rail stations are now open. Get around town faster and more reliably than ever. Ride now from the University of Washington to Capitol Hill in just four minutes or continue on to Westlake Station in just eight minutes. Find lots of helpful information on how to ride, how to get an Orca card and more at ulink 2016.org. Link Light more stations, more places.
6: At the Port of Seattle, diversity is the source of possibility and strength, and we honor our diverse community by expanding opportunities for all people to share in our region's economic prosperity. From the seaport to the airport, we're working to support small businesses, including those owned by women and minorities, and to create quality jobs with lifelong career paths. The Port of Seattle continues to be your port of opportunity.
4: You found us. Maybe you've been guided to listen. Alternative Talk, eleven fifty. Okay, we'll um. hit,
0: hit, hit some more of that Marvin Gaye because that's what time it is. Our next guest for Hey Evans Eye is uh, Dr. Ife Williams, President and CEO of the National Congress of Black Women, Incorporated, out of Washington D.C. And every year during uh, the Sunday uh, during the Black Caucus Weekend. Uh, NBCW, uh, NCBW, host a luncheon. <clears throat> and this year, uh, they will be honoring uh, Shirley Chisholm. And I told you yesterday, Dr. Efe, I had an opportunity to take a picture with, with uh, Miss Shirley uh, back in the late 70s or early 80s in Portland at an event that the Portland Scanner newspaper had. But why don't you uh, share with our listeners, the ones that don't know, a little bit about the organization, a little bit about what you have planned for September 15th in Washington, D.C.
7: Well, of course, the National Congress of Black Women is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we're dedicated to the educational, political, economic, and cultural development of black women and their families. Uh, we serve as a nonpartisan voice, an instrument on issues pertaining to the appointment of black women at all levels of government and to increase black women's participation you know, in various um, of the areas. Uh, we were founded in 1984 by Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm. She was our first founder and our first uh, national chair. And I'm really excited about succeeding her and Dr. C. Lewis Tucker, who was our second uh, uh, person who was the chair. So I've been a, the, the president now for about 15 years when both of them passed away. And for 34 of those years we've had this brunch and. We're so excited that you're always there. I can look up in the audience (laughs) and see you, and I appreciate your support of always coming. Mm -hmm. This year, it's the Sunday morning following the Congressional Black Caucus, and that's uh, September 15th at 10 o'clock in the morning. We start on time, and you know we end on time. But this Mm -hmm. year is even more exciting than usual for us because we have three descendants of Harriet Tubman who will be there. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have a Lilia Bundle who's the great-great-granddaughter of Madam C.J. Walker, and uh, we are so excited about that. This time we've even added on Saturday some events that are going to be very good and very helpful called Healing the Wounds of Circumstance. We have the two uh, black women who were the founders of this uh, procedure. They will be there, and they will also be honorees on Sunday, April 15th, uh, for those who might be in the area or might want to come out for it. Uh, it, they can just give us a call, or they can go to our website at nationalcongressbw.org. The BW is for black women. Nationalcongressbw.org. Or they can always call me on 202-678-6788. The one thing I, I left off was that we are honoring the rem- in, in remembrance of Shirley Chisholm. We always have a posthumous honoree, and uh, this year it's her. So it's, that's generating a lot of excitement.
0: And in terms of your uh, the legislative agenda, uh, we know that you are an advocate for equality for uh, for black folks. We know that, but men and women. And I was just figuring out what are the top priorities right now for the National Congress of Black Women.
7: Well, of course, we want to get the Harriet Tubman uh, on the twenty dollar bill back on track. That's one of the things uh, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty from Ohio has uh, you know put up a bill to do just that. The current administration has decided that, uh, unlike President Obama, who wanted to get that done right away, uh, the current administration has decided to put it off until at least 2028, which you know is out of the time that they would even be in the White House, um, whether they win or lose the next election. So we're trying to get that back on track. Of course, we're always working on um, you know, taking care of gun, making gun control a priority. Uh, we're seeing so mi- so much chaos around the country. With these high-powered weapons and we're not ashamed to say that we are for gun control sensible gun control <laughs> and uh we you know we have many other things obviously we're always trying to upgrade education in our communities because we never get enough money it's interesting that the current administration has been able to find uh, billions of dollars that they're taking away from the military budget that they all claim they love and taking it away to build a fence or wall to keep people out of the country and we know how what great work many immigrants have done in this country and I know a lot of them are in the Seattle area so it's no secret that we love immigrants we want immigrants to come to our country who bring skills who do things that others maybe don't even want to do sometimes so it's time for us to stop the foolishness and I hope that everybody while they're a member of Congress or their senators are at home they will let them know that they're not for taking this money away from all of the other things are the priorities that
2: the military had to use those funds for. Boy, d- Dr. Williams Hayward here, I'm glad you're, you're talking about the money. I had the pleasure to read, and I'm, I'm suggesting everybody pick up a medium newspaper to read your article, Calls for Justice for a Black Immigrant.
7: Ah, uh, Dr. Yes, Jonas well, thank Burr. you can very
2: you, much. Can, yo, can you share with our leadership? Because uh, clearly what you wrote was that, um, that the, that the uh, uh, senior leadership, fabricated a fraudulent economic data to make Africa and Asia look poorer than they were. Uh, well, can you a, share with us brother, what happened to Dr. Burr?
7: Yes, uh, a brother by the name of uh, Dr. Jonas. Um, and he, um, he was doing such a great job at the World Bank. In fact, he was even told by one of his supervisors that he ordinarily would have gotten a promotion, but he couldn't get the promotion because Europeans are not accustomed to seeing black people in those high positions. So they uh, changed his records to make it look like he, despite the fact that he had had all good records, but they changed the records to keep him from getting that promotion. They never gave it to him. And, uh, of course, he's been working for the last several years, and we've been working with him in the National Congress of Black Women, trying to get justice for him, because that's one of the major things we're for, whether it's a black male, black woman, or all people, actually, because the things we work for, benefit all uh, all uh, people in the country. You know, it's just like the Equal Rights Amendment. Some people think that it only belongs to white women. But no, black women need an Equal Rights Amendment even more than they do, because we have been left out of many of the benefits of, you know, of, of being workers, being great workers, uh, doing great things for this country. So it's time for equality for everyone, and we cannot exclude the immigrants in this country who are doing a great job. And uh, this, in this case, he was working at the World Bank um, along with a lot of people from a lot of different countries. And I was surprised and pleased to know that there are some uh, conservatives even who see the wrong that was done to Dr. Baru, and they're trying to uh, help us to get justice for him.
2: Well, when I look at Dr. Baru, when, when he when he points out 16 billion dollar fabrication against American taxpayers. I mean, how can anybody go, go against this gentleman at this point? And did they say anything about debt forgiveness for those uh, African and Asian countries?
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, uh, we, we're trying to make the, the, what has just happened in this case. And as I said, we've been on it for a number of years. We've been working with him and doing the best that we can. And, and someday we're going to resolve the problem. Uh, we, we have both Democrats and Republicans who have tried to help us to get this case resolved. And, you know, uh, God willing, we'll get it resolved uh, before it's
0: uh, too long. Like Hayward just stated, though, you can, listeners, pick up a copy of the CL Medium and uh, Dr. Ife Williams' column on the the issue that Hayward just raised is in in the paper. that came out yesterday, and she's featured regularly in uh, the CL Medium as one of the uh, 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 Trice Edney Wire Service columnists.
7: Well, so, that's, you know, I'm really excited about the Seattle Medium. I tell everybody about it, um, and, and I was so glad. They're always the first to print my articles. as a matter of fact, because Dr. Baru was wondering when I was going to write something that would come out. He wanted a copy of the article, and uh, I, I was able to tell him uh, over the, immediately, you know, after I wrote it practically, that the Seattle Medium had carried it. And and I also forgot to mention that uh, we are on the front page of another newspaper in New York this week, so people are beginning to realize that the National Congress of Black Women, we're doing great things for people, uh, as I said, all people around this country, around the world, and we hope that we can get a chapter in Seattle soon so that we'll be able to do even more things in the Seattle area. I know that one was started at one time, but it kind of fell through. So we're looking for members in your area, and mm-hmm. if anybody's interested, we hope that they will give us a call, and then at this time of year, they'd be coming back to Washington, and yes. we'd be greeting them and having a great time with the work that we do.
2: Well, you wrote that 20 African-American religious leaders have pleaded with uh, number 45. I can't even say his name, amen. Mm-hmm, I know. Uh, uh, number 45, Have has any kind of feedback come for number 45 to intervene? on this issue?
7: A- absolutely not. That was one of the reasons we wrote the article. We were hoping that someone, you know, n- not that we expect any great things uh, from him, but at least because some of the uh, conservatives like, you know, Dr. Card, ben Carson and others are trying to help with this case, that just maybe, maybe we could get him to respond to it and to say something to the people at the World Bank about and, and help us to get it solved. But, you know, pray cross your fingers that he will almost ultimately respond to it. Uh, but we are not real clear about whether he will.
0: Well, we're, you know, at least you got it out there. That's Amen. the most That's important right. thing. So, <laughs> right. you know, it's not, it's not being quiet. It is definitely in the medium. Right. And I'm, you, I'm you sure know, that uh, have to
7: be courageous and we come from the likes of Shirley Chisholm, Shirley Chisholm, you know, was unbought and unborn, yeah. she was courageous and she handed some of those traits down to us. So we have you know, big yeah. shoes to fill in the National Congress, and we try to do that wherever we see wrong being done to our people.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we had uh, uh, Keith Tucker's interview from last week on. They're having an event come up. Uh, a young lady is a filmmaker by the name of Jasmine uh levey uh, And anyway, there's an event coming up, and uh, you remember Keith Tucker is uh, the cousin to uh, the former president of... Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah,
7: Keith used to be, I haven't heard from him lately, but he used to be sort of like a son to me. You know, I've been up there in Seattle to do things for him, and he's been down here and, you know, he's done his wonderful meals and introduced people to the great food uh, that we should be eating that our bodies crave. So. I uh, just want to do a little shout out to Keith,
0: wherever he is. I, I okay. hope he's listening to your program. Well, if he will not hear it today, he'll hear it tomorrow. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> well, Dr. Ife, I want to thank you very much for all that you do. And I look forward to seeing you uh, uh, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, or probably before, because you got something going on on Saturday as well. Yeah, Saturday uh,
7: the 14th and
0: Sunday the 15th. And uh, give us a hotel name so people that, that we, we have, we see, have people uh, going back.
7: Okay, it's, we're we're having it at the Marriott Washington or Marriott Washington Wardman Park Hotel. I'm sorry, Marriott Wardman Park Hotel mm-hmm. in Northwest Washington D.C. at 2660 Woodley Road Northwest. And again, the, our number is 202 678 6788. Should you need to call us, or you can go to our website at NationalCongressBW org And thank you so much,
0: Eddie. Look forward to seeing you. Okay, Dr. Ife, thank you very thank much. You, and, and I'll keep okay. reading you in the media. <laughs>
7: okay. Okay,
0: then. Okay. All right, Dr. Ife Williams, President and CEO of the National Congress of Black Women, Incorporated out of Washington, D.C., talking about the Congressional Black Caucus weekend luncheon they have every Sunday, which will be the 15th this year. Our next guest is a distinguished executive director of the Northwest African American Museum, and they have a big event coming up on Sunday. And I'm talking about La-Nisha De Bardalin. Did um, I mess no, it up again? No.
8: Debardalen. No, you got
0: it right. right. Debardalen. <laughs> okay.
8: Hello there, okay. Hi Hayward. <laughs> All right. Are
0: you doing okay? So, uh big I mean, I never heard of the uh, the National Grandparents Day Hayward is going to be occurring Ooh. on uh Sunday at the Northwest African American Museum and the distinguished executive director is going to share with us some information about that event.
8: Thank you so much for having us on. Good afternoon. Nam is so delighted to uh, partner with the Seattle's Mayor's Council, Mayor's Council on African American Elders and AARP Washington to host our National Grandparents Day. It will be on Sunday, September eighth, from two p.m. to five p.m. at Nam. National Grandparents Day is it's a it's a it's a national recognition that was started in 1978 to honor and celebrate grandparents in our lives. And NAM is doing it big this year in partnership with the uh, Mayor's Council and AARP um, to bring honor and recognition to all of the grandparents in our region. Our theme is Hand in Hand, Honoring Our Grandparents. And it's going to be a family fun day filled with lots of activities, including outdoor games face painting and interactive story activities for kids. We're going to have some fitness and wellness activities for the entire family. DJ music, a family photo area. We will have food and refreshment. We will have a full uh, run-of-show program that will feature Seattle's own Josephine Howell Mm -hmm. and uh, a chat, a talk by Dr. LaShonda Pittman of the University of Washington who really specializes in... um, African-American gerontology, and elders. There's an African proverb that says, the youth can walk faster, but the elder knows
9: the road.
0: Mm. And uh, give us an idea, of, like, what will the programming be like? Is there anybody special coming in? Exactly. Uh, give, uh, share the event with our listeners. Yeah, vision. so it,
8: it kicks off at 2 p.m., and it goes to 5 p.m. at Nam. We will have free food. This is free and open to the public. So admission is entirely free for the entire family at NAM that day. Um, as soon as folks walk up, there are going to be some family fun activities even outside as they walk into the museum space. And then once they enter the space, we will have family fun activities for, for kids as well as for the entire family. We'll be um, presenting a small token of appreciation to all grandparents. So if you are a grandparent, you definitely want to come and uh, be honored and recognized that day. Our program in our Legacy Hall kicks off at 2.30, and it will feature um, our musical uh, performer, Josephine Howell. We will have um, a a proclamation by Mayor Durkin. She will be proclaiming September 8th as National Grandparents Day in Seattle for this occasion at Nam. We will have uh, a variety of vendors will be here on site. Um, With info tables, activities, materials, Um, it will be an entire day of festivity celebrating all grandparents. We will also have a gallery talk. We have a a powerful exhibition here called Bloodlines, Timelines, Red Lines about gentrification. There's going to be a gallery talk by the artist Warren Pope. So folks will get a chance to. Honor and celebrate grandparents and enjoy a fun day at NAM.
0: Okay, now, what is that? Give us the website information for folks to go and and visit you.
8: Absolutely. All information is located at NAM's website, and that's www.namnw.org. So that's the Northwest African American Museum, namnw.org.
0: And uh, before we go, I want to make sure you share with our, our listening audience, if they come and visit the Northwest African American Museum, what will they see?
8: They will see the history, the heritage, the art, and the culture of African Americans here in the Pacific Northwest.
0: Okay. That's that's exciting. Yes, okay.
8: yes, yes. We're really excited. We invite the, all the community to come out here. And celebrate Grandparents Day with us and with our partners.
0: Well, I tell you what, uh, we want to make sure that the grandparents. and Now, that you could be a grandparent by by blood or by love, or do yeah. they both count?
8: Amen. Absolutely, it's in the heart. It's all, all right in the now.
0: Heart. <laughs> okay, well, Anisha, we really thank you for the, all the work you're doing in the community, and having the museum available for community groups and all the activities you guys sponsor up there as well. So. Look forward to seeing you Sunday for a little while anyway. Thank I definitely you. want to come through because I think the last time I was up there was a college fair. College and you must have had 8,000 yeah. young college age, mm-hmm. primarily african uh young people up there. And everything was set up. I mean, you know, they had the food service going on. And so one one of the vendors made a little money because <laughs> a lot of people were in that line. Yeah, I was in line myself. So... Uh, just keep doing the good work, and then things mm-hmm. come up. Let Hayward and I know, and we'll definitely have you guys back on.
8: We appreciate you, Eddie and Hayward. Thanks
6: so you much. have a we'll beautiful
0: do. day. Okay, now. Thank you. All Bye-bye. right, we're going to take a quick break and try to catch up with Kathy Wilmore, fathers and sons together after this.
6: At the Port of Seattle, diversity is the source of possibility and strength, and we honor our diverse community by expanding opportunities for all people to share in our region's economic prosperity. From the seaport to the airport, we're working to support small businesses, including those owned by women and minorities, and to create quality jobs with lifelong career paths. The Port of Seattle continues to be your Port of Opportunity.
4: Step up your commute and ride light. Sound Transit's new Capitol Hill and University of Washington Link Light Rail stations are now open. Get around town faster and more reliably than ever. Ride now from the University of Washington to Capitol Hill in just four minutes, or continue on to Westlake Station in just eight minutes. Find lots of helpful information on how to ride, how to get an ORCA card, and more at ulink2016.org. Link Light Rail. More stations, more places. Talk radio for the heart and soul. Alternative Talk 1150.
0: All right. Eric got it rocking at 1150 MKKNW with the best soul music going. But our next guest is uh, Kathy Wilmore and Bo Reeves. Bo is uh, sponsoring uh, the High T Golf Club. They're going to be up at Jefferson on uh, uh, on Saturday from 10 to 2. And Kathy Wilmore, Fathers and Sons Together, uh, Larry Wilmore's best friend. <laughs> so, any. Anyway- <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, uh, uh, Kathy, you want to hand it off, or Bo, who want, whichever one of you guys can start. But the event will be uh, for, it's for ages 5 to 18. It's going to be a Jefferson golf course on Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And the flyer says there will be free equipment, free lunch, and an exceptional experience. So, I'll let either Bo or Kathy take off.
9: Absolutely. We're so excited about this event. This will be our first time uh, doing this golf camp. It's going to be a kickoff to what we hope it to be a eight-week um, golf camp for our community. And we're so excited to be offering this to our kids of color for, for um, them to have this opportunity to learn the game and to learn it from exceptional coaches that are um, – you know, champions in this game already. So uh, we're excited to be working with High t and Bo Reeves and um, offering this program. And uh, we're excited to see all of our our families come on out and support it.
0: Okay. And uh, Bo Reeves, you said there's going to be free equipment, free lunch, and an exceptional experience at the end of the day. So Uh, let let us know what you're going to be offering to the young folks that show up.
10: Well, we want to teach these kids how to play golf. I was inspired. I I got interested in doing this because we're losing so many kids to absolutely foolishness. And this will take their minds away from that. We want to take guns out of their hand and put golf clubs in them. Take a nine meter out of their hand and put a nine iron in their hand. And we're going to teach these kids from the hole to the T, sometimes we feel they learn the game backwards. And we, uh, the CEO of World Golf has been talking about diversity so long among the people of African Americans. When Tiger Woods first started playing, they thought we would run and get our kids and take them all to the golf shop and get them ready to go play golf. That didn't happen. But Tiger changed the game. We need our own facility so we don't have to ask people, to. can we come and teach them here? Can we teach them there? And so we're trying to get a state-of-art place to teach them. This is the high-T junior little league. They got a, a high-T golf club that we'll send the seniors to. I'm finding out from Kathy that a lot of these folks signed up to be at the uh, our uh, camp is grown and uh, we want to know but they got a couple of uh, African American golf clubs that they'll be able to join mm-hmm. so we're looking for a good turnout and we got folks uh, I got a uh, 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 golf director who's been doing this since the 60s flying in from New Orleans mm-hmm. to do the exercise we actually got a grant for exercise and outdoor sports. Don't be that many grants for golf, but golf is an outdoor sport, so we're looking to see uh, our people come and represent our kids. And thank you so much, Eddie, for giving us a chance to let the community know that this is a community. I have partnered with 10 different community centers, and we're gonna do this out of our community centers, and I hope everybody show to show the support our kids and here's Miss Wilmore.
0: I just want to say, uh, maybe blacks stopped playing golf when they saw Tiger Woods with Donald Trump, and maybe that's what made them lose their their interest in the game when they saw Tiger Woods going up sucking up to Donald Trump. Donald Trump. So I think yeah. that that had as I tell you right now, a lot of folks I know uh don't care if you don't ever win another another uh, golf match. <laughs> that's what they that's what they think about it. So, you know we well, were all rooting for him at one time yeah. but he just uh yeah. he missed a little bit of the ghetto so uh, <laughs> that's how he got busted with that woman <laughs> if he'd have been in, if he'd have been in the hood he' well, known have right, he'd have had right. two cell phones instead of one but he didn't have that black experience so that's his problem so I'll leave that alone but I really yeah, well, do he
10: changed he changed a whole lot of people's mind when that happened the way that they think about it I know my phone was jumping off the hook and people say they threw.
0: Yeah, well, I just it. say, hey, it. I'm sorry, I can't be befriending anybody that's going to be hooking up with somebody that's a white supremacist. That's just, that's right. I'm just, oh, he can be the president if he wants to. But anyway, so uh, is there uh, uh, information, a uh, website, or call in number where people can get more information after this program is over about the event on Saturday? Absolutely,
9: they can. Um, they can look at fast uh, fathers and sons. Fast Fathers and Sons together at dot uh, org is our website. And um, our high T golf is working on their website. They'll be up soon, but they can definitely refer to Sons dot org. And feel free to give me a call at two zero six two two eight six four six zero to sign up. It's a free camp from ten to two at Jefferson um, Park Golf Course. Again, my number is 206-228-6460. Please give me a call and sign up and learn more about what's going on and come on out. Uh,
2: what, okay. are you, what are your targeted ages?
9: What are you looking 5 for? to 18.
0: Okay, uh, Ms. Kathy Wilmore, tell Larry thank you very much for putting you on the phone and in charge of fathers and sons together. And Bo Reeves, thank you for bringing the high-teeth junior uh, golf up to uh, Jefferson Park on Saturday from 10 to 2, and you don't have to have golf clubs or anything. You guys provide the equipment, which is great. So thank both of you for your time today and for all the good work you're doing in the community with the young people.
10: And thank you, Eddie, for giving us this opportunity.
0: All right, now. Right. I, I'll That's see, right. I might come by Saturday. I don't have any golf clubs, but I might come by and get a sandwich. Well,
10: <laughs> <laughs> come, come by. You, We gotta, we gotta have Ezel's the, uh, chicken there.
0: Okay. Yes,
9: and definitely we Ezel's fried chicken will be uh, providing our lunch for us, and we're so happy about that too. So shout thanks, out, to thanks, E-Zell. Lewis,
0: Rudd, and Faye. We appreciate y'all. They take yes. care of the Martin Luther King Good. Commemoration Committee too. Okay, That's well, I'll right. see you guys Saturday. So thanks a lot. This program Thank will air, this program will right. air again on Saturday morning at eight o'clock. Okay. You. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Right. Uh, Kathy Wilmore and Bo Reeves—they're uh, putting on the junior golf event on uh, Saturday. From 10 to 2, age group 5 to 18, Uh, the golf clubs will be there for you. You have to worry about that. And you have a free lunch. But uh, Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by the Port of Seattle's Office of Social Responsibility. Congratulations, Luis Navarro, for being recognized by the MLK Commemoration Committee, Sound Transit Small Business Labor Compliance Office. we got to have Leslie Jones to talk us about what's happening. Uh, Sound Transit is going south, and they're going east. Mm -hmm. The City of Seattle's Purchase Construction Services Office with Liz Alzir, Concourse Concessions with Dave Fukuhara, SeaTac Bar Group LLC with the two Desert Storm veterans, First Lieutenant uh, Jerry Whitsitt and First Lieutenant Ron mm-hmm. O'Neill. Uh, Solstice Media does our website, that's Stephanie Ogle. And don't forget that, uh, oh yeah, I gotta say that uh, Pastor Butler's funeral will be on Tuesday at 1st AME. Shout out to the Mitchell family, shout out, condolence. Michael Mitchell, uh, the nephew of Charles Paul and Mason Mitchell. Talk to you next week.